السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته عفواً سلام بيز جس جيمي كويك سان تشيك ميك شو يمكن هيمي أوكي طيب جزاكم الله خير بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد. so إن شاء الله تعالى before we begin um, today's lesson where we're starting a, a new chapter new سورة سورة الضحى. Uh, just a couple of things about yesterday's session for those of you that attended our class on the poem of الزمزمي منظومة الزمزمية in تفسير. Uh, just a couple of things because I think that the vast majority of people that attended will probably be uh, students of this class of people that are watching uh, these classes in one way or another. Uh, two points that I want to mention very briefly and then inshallah we'll, we'll go back to our tafsir. The first of them is there's been a few questions from people asking concerning, uh, you know, like maybe some people missed some of it uh, a few minutes here or a few minutes there, which is which is normal, right? So sometimes when you have like an hour, an hour and a half class, then especially if you're, for example, at home and you, you have young children and there's lots of issues that take place, which is one of the reasons why it's always better to have these classes live in person in a masjid or in a place where you have no other distractions. That's always the asal. Obviously, we're living in, in difficult times, and, and obviously for some of us, because of uh, issues of, of lo- location and geography and, and other things, it's not always possible to be present live with the teacher. <coughs> one of the concepts that the scholars of the past have when they do these readings and these and these types of uh, these types of sessions in which they give the ijazat is something which is called felt and felt literally means something that you've missed and there are different types of afwat so for example you have felt which is yasir it's a very small amount that you missed and then there is a felt which is kabir meaning you missed large chunks and actually if you go back to some of the old ijazat that some of the scholars have even hadith they will say that i read for example only the first few chapters of this book to my teacher and the rest he just gave me permission to narrate from him without reading. And so you have different types of afwat. In fact, in the I don't know if I mentioned this here before, but I think I may have. Uh, in the Muwatta of Imam Malik, rahimahullah ta'ala, he, one of his most famous students that narrates the Muwatta, Yahya al-Laythi. There are a number of, or a handful of hadith in the Muwatta that Yahya al-Laythi narrates from another one of his fellow students from Imam Malik, rather than from Imam Malik directly because there was a few hadith that he missed. He had fault. He missed certain ahadith and hearing them directly from his teacher, Imam Malik, rahimahullah ta'ala. So that concept isn't something to be worried about. And the way that it would then work <coughs> is that the way that it would normally be is that you would go then to the teacher and say, for example, I missed verses, the verses of poetry from 1 to 10. Can I just read them to you so that I can say that I heard or I read the full thing? And so that's what usually happens. You go to the teacher and you read those small poems. Or the teacher asks the reader to repeat those portions that people have missed. That's okay when it's a handful of people or it's a manageable number. Uh, with our kind of class where you have, uh, you know, like 100, 150, 200 people, then sometimes that can become difficult if it's multiple people that have different places. So one of the things that we will do, inshallah ta'ala, in the final lesson, bi'idhnillah, the final lesson um, uh, in a couple of weeks of, of Mandumatul Zamzami is at the end, once we've finished, is we'll do a complete reading of the, just the poetry in Arabic from beginning to end. So even if you did miss... And, and when it comes to fault, what you're missing is the reading of the text, the original text, not necessarily my explanation or my commentaries, the original Arabic text that you want to have heard completely. 
And so, because that's what the ijazah is for. The ijazah is not for my commentary. The ijazah is for the Arabic text, whatever that text may be. And so, inshallah, we will do a complete reading at the end. I'll ask the brother to read the whole of the poem again. And so, if you did happen to miss certain verses or the reading of certain verses, then inshallah ta'ala, there's something which you will be able to catch up with. Uh, but it is a good idea anyway that if that did happen, that you make a note, you jot it down uh, yourself, just in your own kind of notepad or something. Uh, and, and that's something which the scholars of old also used to do, is that they were very precise in the way that they would narrate these types of issues. So that's the first point uh, in terms of, of what is called afuat or a few minutes that you miss here and a few minutes that you miss there. And if that's the case and you did miss a few minutes and then you're, you're filling in that form, that we have the the, the 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 written ijazah form that asks, did you attend the fourth thing completely and so on? You can still say yes, uh, because as we know in our Sharia, uh, the 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 majority takes the ruling of the complete, right? And so the you know if you've done the vast majority of something, it's it's okay if you missed a few minutes here, and that's natural. Maybe sometimes your internet drops. Maybe sometimes you know you have to go out to get some water. Maybe sometimes one of your children you got to take them to the bathroom, whatever it may be. There's a whole host of things that can happen. And so that's not something like even in a masjid, if you're sitting there, and sometimes you have to go and refresh your wudu, you need the bathroom. So you're going to leave. Now, the lesson's not going to stop. And that doesn't mean that you're not eligible for the ijaz either. But you just make sure that you've completed what you missed if it was anything that was read in your absence. And so, inshallah, that's something that we will do with nilai ta'ala. That's the first point. The second point is then in terms of filling in that form for those of you that were uh, were, were registered for the verbal ijazah you've been given a link I believe in which you're asked to uh, to confirm that you attended the session live and you attended it in in full and that system uh, I know that the uh, admin uh, team that was that was doing this uh, opened up the, the form for a couple of hours and then they closed it um, and I've asked them to inshallah reopen that again for a few more hours or, or, or to kind of give everyone a time window of about 12 hours after each lesson for them to fill in that form because it's not always possible to do it straight away. Um, however, the system is based on trust, right? Uh, you know, we're not babies here, we're not children. I'm not going to be there, you know, saying, look, I didn't see your name on the Zoom call. I don't even know who was on the Zoom call. I didn't even look at the list and read through the names. So it's not going to be one of those things where we're taking a register and so on. We're all students of knowledge and we're all adults. And therefore, the system is based on amana. And you don't cheat anyone except yourself at the end of the day. No one gets fooled. There's no money involved. There's no prize, nothing. It is a system that is based on amana and integrity and trust and a fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a level of piety. And so therefore, you know, I don't, I don't have an issue with someone filling in a form a few hours later because they were busy, whatever it may be. And if someone says they attended the whole thing and they fill in that form, even if they didn't even come and attend anything, they will still get the ijazah because like I said, it's not a police state. We're not going to be there looking at each and every single person. At the end of the day, that's between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I don't have, you know, that level of, of, of stringent, uh, you know, like normally if I had students in front of me, I would be more stringent and I would be more strict. But in the current circumstances and in the way that this is done, it's just not feasible to ask someone or for me myself to, to actually do this in, to that extent and to that level. And so it is a system that is always based on trust, always. It's been based on trust. If you say that you read something to a certain teacher and a certain sheikh, then that's between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And often that sheikh himself probably won't know if he has like, hundreds of students or dozens of students like we used to study in the haram and the sheikh maybe has hundreds and hundreds of students doesn't know me by name doesn't know every single person sitting there by name but they're still his students and they can still say that we read to that sheikh or we heard from that sheikh and we studied with that sheikh doesn't mean that he has to know them all by name 
but it is a system that is based on trust and based on integrity and so therefore you know that's for each other, each person's conscience and their own uh, integrity and trust that we leave it to them inshallah ta'ala to fill that in in a way that is trustworthy and then inshallah ta'ala you know we're just going to make it an easy kind of laid back easy going system rather than trying to you know like come down like a, a ton of bricks on every person and and find exactly when they logged on, didn't log on, and did they miss something or did they miss something? That's for you to uh, to determine in your own way. So those were the two points that I wanted to mention. And if anyone has any any questions, uh, then please let me know. But inshallah, just as a heads up, next Monday and the Monday after the sessions will be longer than last night. So last night we did approximately about an hour, I think, or just over an hour. Uh, next Monday and the Monday after will be longer sessions because inshallah we want to finish this uh, reading within three lessons in total and so uh, next week will probably be an hour and a half and the final week uh, will be um, similar time but then inshallah I will extend the session for those of you that want to carry on for any questions or questions are being collated or they're being kind of uh, recorded in the form that you've been that, that the link was sent out for yesterday and that's so that we don't miss out any questions and then I can look through them and if there's multiple re- repetition or questions are very similar we can kind of deal with them and save time in that way as well so that's also going to be done in the final lesson, inshallah ta'ala. So if you sent questions yesterday and you thought, okay, we didn't get Q&A, then don't worry, inshallah, those questions have been saved. And inshallah, we will deal with as many of them as we can in the final lesson. So anyway, if there's anything that's still uh, confusing or needs clarification, you can let me know, inshallah, towards the end of the lesson. Otherwise, let us, inshallah, go to our tafsir. So today, inshallah, we're on the tafsir of a new surah. And this surah is Surah Al-Duha, and as we know, Surah Al-Duha marks what is considered to be the last of the, or the first, you know, depending on, on which way you do it, uh, the first of the Qisar Al-Mufassal. Right? And so we said that the way that the companions used to, and the, and the classic way of, of, of categorizing, or if you like, grouping the surahs of the Qur'an, was that they would begin with the Sab'ut Tiwal, and then the Mathani, and then the Ma'in, and then the Mufassal. And the Mufassal is from Surah Qaf all the way to Surah Al-Nas. And those are also separated into three. The Mufassal, which basically means surahs that are often, uh, you know, are, are relatively short. Mufassal means that they're cons- consistently separated by Bismillah rahman rahim They have fawasil. Those surahs that are the Mufassal are then separated or categorized into three. The first of them is the Tawalul Mufassal, the Tiwalul Mufassal, the longer Mufassal surahs, which begins from Surah Qaf all the way to Surah Amma Yatasa'alun. So from Surah Qaf, and then all of the remainder of the 27th Juz, the 28th Juz, and the 29th Juz. All of those are called Tiwarul Mufassal. And then from Surah Amma Yatasa'alun until the end of Surah Al-Layl, which is basically the beginning of Surah Al-Duha, we have what is called the Awsatul Mufassal, the middle Mufassal. Right? And those are the Surahs from Amma Yatasa'alun until the end of Wal-Layl, Ida Yaghsha. And then from Surah Al-Duha until Surah Al-Nas, we have what we call the Qisarul Mufassal the short Mufassal Surahs. And that's the meaning of basically the hadith in which the companions used to speak about the length of the loud prayers of the Prophet And the Prophet his salah length was described as being for Maghrib, that he would read the Qisar al-Mufassal, which is basically from Duha to Nas, for Isha, the Awsat al-Mufassal, from Surah Ma'at al-Sa'alun until Walid idha yaqsha. And in the morning salah, Fajr salah, he would read from the Qiwal al-Mufassal, from Surah Qaf until Surah and there are obviously narrations in which he went outside, but that's the general norm. 
And so it's not like wajib or it's not the only and it's not, it doesn't mean that you're not allowed to do anything else. That is the general thing. And from the wisdom that are mentioned by the scholars, especially for the Qisar al-Mufassal, because the Salat of al-Maghrib and Salat al-Isha are the two, and especially Salat al-Maghrib, is the one that is most regularly attended by people. Especially in, maybe not so much in the West, especially when, when Maghrib becomes very early in the winter. But in the Muslim countries, Maghrib is the one that is most likely to be attended by the vast majority of people. Whereas Isha and Fajr are more difficult prayers, right? And that's why you have those hadith about the people of Nifaq not being able to attend those two salawat in particular. The Prophet ﷺ, when he used to read the Qisar al-Mufas, which is Duha to Nas, are the most likely and most common surahs to be memorized by the vast majority of Muslims. The vast majority of Muslims will know some of, or all of, the Qisar al-Mufasal at least. Right? And those are the ones that they're going to be reading most. And so from the wisdoms that the scholars mention of the Prophet ﷺ repeating those same surahs, even though sometimes you know, we hear today people saying that they're fed up or that they kind of become bored or they become accustomed to the repetition of the surah and it's kind of becoming heavy and burdensome upon them, we find that actually from the wisdoms that are mentioned in the sunnah is that the Prophet ﷺ would do that because it was one of the ways in which the companions would A, memorize the Qur'an and B, would revise their Qur'an. It's one of the ways that they would memorize those surahs and then to retain those surahs of the Qur'an. And if you were to just go and to listen to the Imam and he's constantly repeating those surahs over and over again, then that's something which is going to stick in your mind and in your body and so on. And that's why you have those other hadith that speak about some of the companions saying we only memorize surah Qaf from because of the way the Prophet ﷺ would repeat it often on Salatul Jumu'ah or Yawmul Jumu'ah. He would often read that surah, surah Qaf. And so we memorize it from his recitation. And so it is from the, uh, you know, from the objectives of the Sharia in that regard, uh, in terms of salah, from the objectives of salah, that you make people accustomed to certain surahs that they can then read for themselves. And so that's something which I think is important to also note here. So this is, in that sense, the uh, first or the last of the surahs, depending on, obviously, we went in reverse order, so for us it's the last one, but it is in terms of, if you were to go through the normal order of the surahs of the Qur'an, the first of the qisarul mufassal. And with that, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to be coming to uh, you know this year, the end of this year. This is the last surah that we're going to be doing before we break for our Ramadan break. So we break, as we know, every year at Ramadan. And so this is the final surah that we will be covering, inshallah ta'ala, until then. And so within our three years, alhamdulillah, since the beginning of year one and then two and then three, we have managed to cover the Qisarul Mufassal by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's permission. This surah, in terms of its theme, Surah Al-Duha, is very similar to Surah Al-Sharh. And there is a very close link between the two and, and we touched upon some of that last week when we mentioned, for example, the statements of Ibn Qayyim, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, amongst others. And that is that in both Allah Azza wa speaks about one of the greatest or some of the greatest benefits or some of the greatest blessings that Allah Azza wa bestowed upon His Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And just as Allah Azza wa does that in Surah Al-Sharh, He will likewise do so in Surah, uh, in Surah uh, Al-Duha as well. And so they are similar in that regard. Both of them remind and speak about the blessings that Allah gave to the Prophet ﷺ, and both of them speak about the difficulty that the Prophet ﷺ faces in one way or another from his people, and both of them speak about solutions and advice and guidance that Allah gives to the Prophet ﷺ in how to overcome those challenges. And so they are similar in that regard. They are similar in that regard, and there is a very nice symmetry and very nice relationship between those surahs in terms of their theme. The introduction of the surah, as we often do when we begin a surah, we speak about some of the introductory points 
The first of them being the names by which the surah is known in the classical works of tafsir and hadith. And the surah is known by primarily two names, two names that you will find. The first of them is Surah Al-Duha, which is the surah name that it is most well known by and the one that we use most commonly today. But actually it's something which was even found amongst the early scholars. So for example, Imam Al-Nasai uh, in, his, in his Sunan mentions this as Surah uh, Al-Duha. And likewise Ibn Qutayba in his work on Tafsir uh, and, and Gharib Al-Quran also refers to it in as Surah Al-Duha. Ibn Hazm also in his in his works on the sciences of the Quran and Ibn Abi Hatim in his Tafsir. And then the famous scholars of Tafsir amongst them Al-Baghawi and Ibn Atiyah and Ibn Al-Jawzi and Ibn Kathir and Imam Al-Suyuti alayhim rahmatullahi jami'an all of them were people who uh, spoke about this or referred to this surah with the name of Al-Duha Al-Duha the second name by which it is known is very similar with the addition of a waw which is basically taken from the first verse Surah Wal-Duha so the first name eliminates the waw which is the waw al-qasim at the beginning of the surah of the first verse and the second name retains the waw so it is essentially the first verse by which the na- the surah is being named so it is called surah wal-duha and that is found in the tafsir of abdul razaq al-san'ani rahimahullah al-imam al-bukhari and al-tirmidhi al-imam al-tabari and al-hakim and his mustadrak amongst others they refer to the surah surah wal-duha surah wal-duha so essentially it has two names one is Surah Al-Duha and one is Surah Al-Duha. And Ibn Ashur, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his tafsir mentions this. And he mentions that you will find in the vast majority of the books of tafsir and in the old masahif that we have still uh, present in our time, that the surah is referred to Surah Al-Duha. And then you will find in a number of other works of tafsir and hadith and so on. And in some of the other masahif that it is called Surah Al-Duha, with the wow being retained at the beginning. And he says, but we don't have a, an authentic narration from the Prophet ﷺ in which he referred to the surah by its name. So as we've said before, there are surahs that are named by the Prophet ﷺ. They're mentioned in the sunnah as having names like Surah Al-Fatiha and Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Ali Imran amongst others. And then there are other surahs of the Quran that are ijtihadi, that their names are from the companions. And because of that, you find often, or, or they're from the companions or even after the companions from the tabi'in. And that's why you find often that there are various different uh, statements amongst the scholars with, with various different names for those surahs even though now we kind of have a set name for all of those surahs that it is famous for and that's why even yesterday in last night when we were going through a zamzami and he was speaking about the Madani and Makki surahs he spoke about surah names that we wouldn't, weren't necessarily familiar with they're not what those surahs are now called like for example surah Bara'a right surah to Tawbah uh, he called surah Bara'a and surah Muhammad he called surah to Qital Right? And Surah Fatir, for example, even though that's not one of the ones he mentioned, but it is known as Surah Al-Malaika amongst some of the scholars of Tafsir and so on. And so that's something which is very common, which shows you that it is only relatively recently when there was mass printing and publishing that these Surah names became famous because the copies of the Qur'an and those editions of the Qur'an that were printed and, and spread across the world just retained those names and they became very famous and well-known amongst the Muslims and people kind of settled on them. However, that doesn't mean that it's not allowed for someone to use one of those other classical names. So if someone like Al-Imam al-Bukhari is referring to the surah, surah wal-duha, then frankly, who are me and you to come and say that we're not allowing someone else to call it with that same name. And so it's allowed for someone to refer to surah, surah al-Tawbah, surah bara'a, right? or surah al-Isra'a, surah Bani Israel, for example, amongst other names. right? And, and people shouldn't be so strict in that regard because it's something which is a well-established 
precedent in practice amongst the earliest of scholars of Islam. In terms of its revelation, its place of revelation or its timing of revelation when we speak about the surah being Makki or Madani, then this surah is a surah which is Makki by Ijma'. It is by it is a pre-Hijrah surah from the Meccan period by Ijma' of the scholars of Quran and Tafsir. And that's because of the narrations that we will mention. Uh, we will mention shortly some of them even in Sahih al-Bukhari and in many other works of, of, of Hadith, many of the other collections of Hadith like Al-Tirmidhi and Al-Hakim, Mustadrak Al-Hakim and, and many others that clearly indicate and show that this surah is from the earlier revelations. And not only is it from the Mecca period, but from the earliest of those revelations of the Mecca period, towards the very beginning of the prophethood of our Prophet Ibn Atiyah in his tafsir speaking to this issue, he says, He says that it is a Mecca surah and there is no difference amongst the scholars regarding that. And Imam Al-Qurtubi says something similar. He says, He says that it is by consensus a Mecca surah. And Ash-Shawkani and Ibn Ashur say something very similar as well. And so they actually say, you see, because when people, uh, I think we've mentioned this before also, uh, when, when the scholars speak about surah being Mecca or Madani, there is two different ways in which they do this. One is just to simply say, this is a Mecca surah, or this is a Madani surah, right? which is a statement in and of itself as to the position of that scholar, but doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't another opinion. Because they're saying that's the opinion, that it's Mecca, and this is often the case with Ibn Kathir in his tafsir. He will often make the statement, it is a Mecca surah, and he will say nothing more. And you will often find that actually there's a difference of opinion. But Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, chose the position, and that's the one that he mentions in his tafsir. He doesn't really speak about the difference of opinion. But actually, when you delve further, you will find, no, actually, it's not so simple. And there are other scholars who disagreed with that position. But when a scholar says, or the second way in which they do this, is the way that we've just mentioned now, Ibn Atiyah and Qurtubi, for example, in the surah, when they say not only is there a Makki or a Madani surah, but they say, and there is consensus upon that point. right? And sometimes that consensus can also not mean that every scholar, but it means the majority. So there may still be one or two scholars, because that is also a methodology of some of the scholars of tafsir and, and hadith and so on, that when they use the word ijma', they mean the vast majority, which doesn't mean that there's one or two that can be uh, that can still differ with them. But anyway, uh, when they say that it is makiyatun bil khilaf, it means that there is a general consensus on that point. And this is one of those surahs uh, that you have. Other scholars who just simply said that it is a Makki surah, and we know that there's no difference of opinion, but they didn't mention that there is ijma' on the point of consensus and agreement, is Ibn Hazm in his work on Ulum al-Quran and al-Baghawi and al-Dani, uh, the famous Imam Abu Amr al-Dani and Ibn Kathir and al-Suyuti and al-Shawkani and many others, rahimahumullahu ajma'in. And as I said, all of the scholars of tafsir are in agreement that this is a Makki surah. It is a Makki surah, therefore, there is no difference of opinion in that regard. And that's because of its uh, cause of revelation. What is mentioned in the in the Sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, and in narrations of a hadith that speak to the cause of revelation and the timing of the revelation of the surah. And we will speak about this in more detail when we come on to verse number three. When we speak about the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, مَا وَدَّعَكَ رَبُّكَ وَمَا قَلَى We will speak about this in more detail and we'll go into it in more detail because uh, there is a, a, a nice statement of Ibn Hajar ta'ala, in which he speaks about the various different opinions and different narrations that you find in the various books of tafsir and, and hadith that speak about the cause of revelation concerning this. And he, in his own uh, 
a masterful way of tahqiq. He will mention what is correct and what is incorrect and what seems to be uh, more strong and less strong and so on. And that's one of the benefits of Ibn Hajar's works. Ibn Hajar is an imam in hadith. And it is enough just to read his Fathul Bari to, as a testament to see his leadership and his mastery of the science of narrations and hadith. And that's something which is, uh, which is extremely difficult to do. But Ibn Hajar was one of those scholars that Allah gave him that ability to master the sciences of hadith and the books of hadith to the best of his ability. But the narration uh, that I'm going to mention now at the beginning is the one that is mentioned by Imam al-Bukhari, the one that Imam al-Bukhari collects in a sahih. And there is a narration uh, of Jundub ibn Abdullah al-Bajali, radiyallahu an, the companion Jundub ibn Abdullah al-Bajali, radiyallahu an. And he says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and this is the, the narration of Sahih al-Bukhari, he says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was ill, ishtaka, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ishtaka means that he complained of illness, right? That he complained of illness. So he didn't stand for one or two nights. Stand meaning for the night in prayer. Because as we know, when Allah commands the Prophet in Surah Al-Muzzammil, illa those verses at the beginning of Surah Al-Muzzammil, then that is a command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the Prophet should spend some of his portion of night in prayer. And then, you know, there's a, a debate amongst the scholars of tafsir whether that is wajib when it comes to the Prophet or something which is just extremely highly recommended for him as it is for his ummah. But either way, on this occasion, the Prophet was unable to do so for one or two nights because of the illness that he suffered from. So a woman came to him. In other narrations, as Ibn Hajar and uh, others mention, that the woman is named in some narrations as being Ummu Jameel. And Umm Jamil is the laqab, the title of the wife of Abu Lahab. Abu Lahab's wife, as we mentioned in, 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 uh, in Surah Al-Masad, when we were speaking about Surah Tabbat Yada, Abi Lahab bin Watab, we mentioned that the wife of Abu Lahab was known as Umm Jamil. So it said that Umm Jamil is the one, this woman came to the Prophet in some narrations she is named as being Umm Jamil, as Ibn Hajar, rahimahullah, mentions. فقالت يا محمد so she said oh Muhammad ما أرى شيطانك إلا تركك I only think that your devil has forsaken you who is the devil that she's referring to she's referring to the angel Jibreel عليه السلام and that shows the vile nature of of the of the of the مشركين of مكة it shows the utmost hatred that they had uh, and enmity in their hearts for Islam and for the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم even the choice of her words which are very unbecoming and very nasty and very foul in the choice of words in the way that she describes the Prophet and describes the angel Jibreel and that's why one of the greatest benefits that you find in the, in the Sharia is the way in which the Prophet speaks to his enemies and speaks to those people who oppose him and the way the Prophet even when sometimes as is mentioned in the authentic hadith when they would come and they would say a messenger of Allah may ask Allah to curse this tribe or that tribe or those people or this people and the Prophet would say I wasn't sent to curse people the Prophet would really curse people right? and it's not something that would often flow from his tongue or from his mouth except on a very few occasions and they are also authentically narrated and recorded in the books of the Sunnah and so the, the wording here is very very strong I, I only think that your devil has deceived you or has forsaken you 
And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then revealed, as is mentioned in this narration, Surah Al-Duha, Wal-Duha, Wal-Layli Iza Saja, Ma Wadda'aka Rabbuka Wa Ma Qala. And this is mentioned by Imam Bukhari, Rahimahullah, in his, in his Sahih, and also by Imam Tirmidhi, and Imam Muslim before him, and Al-Nasai, and many others as well. And all of them from the same companion, Jundub ibn Abdullah al-Bajali, radiyallahu an. And this is just one of the narrations even though it is mentioned in multiple books, but it's essentially the same narration. This is just one of the narrations that you will find in the Sunnah that speak about this particular uh, incident or this particular revelation of this Surah. And um, what what essentially is being said in this in this in this particular Surah or in this particular narration, rather, is that revelation ceases. So when Umm Jamil comes and she says to the Prophet I only think that your shaitan has forsaken you, meaning Jibreel this devil that she calls a devil, that is in fact Jibreel uh, she says when he has forsaken you, it is because revelation stopped and ceased for some time. The length of that time, as we will come on to when we come on to verse number 3, is a difference of opinion in the narrations that you will find and therefore in the opinions of the scholars who came and took from those narrations. And the reason for the cutting off of that narration of that of that revelation for the cease the ceasing of relation of revelation to come to the Prophet for a number of nights or days, however long they may have been, is also an issue of difference of opinion. And this narration which is the most authentic in that regard, because it's the one in Sahih Bukhari and Imam al-Bukhari, as we know, has very stringent conditions in the narrations that he accepts. It is the most authentic of them, but it doesn't mention neither a time frame for how long revelation ceased, nor a, an explicit reason as to why it ceased, but just simply says that it seems to have stopped for a short while, and then uh, Umm Jamil makes a statement, and then the Prophet received the revelation of Surah Al-Duha, right? and that is basically what this narration is saying in its most basic form. But there are many other narrations that have many different wordings and many different additions, and inshallah ta'ala, that's something which we will come on to when we reach, bismillah ta'ala, verse number 3. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins in verse number 1. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem, bismillahir rahmanir rahim, wadduha. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins by taking an oath. And just look at the translations that we have uh, before us. Mufti Taqi says, I swear by the forenoon. Uh, Muhsin Khan, by the forenoon. Right, and the forenoon doesn't mean the afternoon, right? It means forenoon, meaning after sunrise, the time after sunrise. Uh, Professor Abdul Halim, by the morning brightness. And Sahih International also, by the morning brightness. And it's very interesting because all four of those uh, translations that I have before me, and I think it would be interesting if someone can check for me Yusuf Ali and Pictol and some of the other ones to see if they all agree on this particular translation. And that is that they're saying that a duha refers to the the part of the day that is the early morning so after sunrise as the morning is 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 rising so if someone can has access uh, to uh, quran.com or something else and then they look at what yusuf ali and picton and maybe some others as well do they all agree that it's basically the form because this is actually a very interesting uh, selection and if they do agree as those four do agree uh, then that is only one of the two opinions one of the two classic opinions as to what uh, the, the the word al-duha is referring to. It is only one of the two classic opinions. And in fact, it seems, and Allah Azza knows best, that out of those two, it is classically the least well-known of the two. 
But later in latter times, meaning in more recent times, the one that is more popular of the two. So if you look at a lot of the early tafsir, a lot of the, the early classical tafsir, they seem to actually veer away from this particular choice or this particular tafsir towards a different tafsir. And both of them are, 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 very, are very similar in terms of, in terms of, uh, in terms of, of their meaning. But in, in terms of it is just pinpointing and ascertaining exactly what al-duha is referring to, right? Which part of the day is it referring to? What is al-duha? When we say al-duha, what is it referring to? And so, uh, therefore, out of the two opinions, it seems that the one that is not mentioned by, or not chosen by the translations of our time was the one that was classically more uh, popular or the one that seemed to be the majority opinion. But then over time, and especially as we have come to our time, in more recent times, it seems to be the one that has been chosen is the one that is the other one. And that is the more literal meaning of a duha. And, Jazakallah uh, khair for that. So, Piktor uh, also says, by the, by, the, by the morning hours, Yusuf Ali, by the glorious morning light, Shakir, I swear by the early hours of the day, and Dr. Ghali by the forenoon. And so, yeah, so, so basically everyone seems to more or less have chosen that particular tafsir, which is, I think, interesting. And it's, it is a valid tafsir, by the way. It's not like that it's invalid. And it has, like, even from the early scholars of, of tafsir, some who chose that particular uh, position. The reason why there is a different opinion, what is, what is the difference of opinion, therefore? What is the other opinion? So the first opinion is this, that it is referring to the early part of the morning. And al-duha is basically the part of the morning after sunrise until noon, until zawal. And as the sun rises and it becomes stronger and it becomes, you know, the heat of the sun becomes greater and its light becomes stronger, that is the period of time that is called a duha. And after that is what, uh, what we know the famous prayer to be called, right? The well-known prayer that is a highly recommended salah, salatul duha, is offered after sunrise. So it's that period of time of the morning that the Prophet said that you can pray salatul duha and there's a number of hadith that have been mentioned in terms of its, uh, of its virtues from them. Is the hadith in which the Prophet said that every part of the body of the child of Adam upon it is due a sadaqah. And then the Prophet mentions all of that. And then he says, he mentions the different types of charity that you can give. And then he says, and it is sufficient for all of that to pray two rak'ahs of a duha. Right? And in the narration of Abu Hurair radiallahu anhu, he said, Awsani Khalidi bi thalath, my close friend, meaning the Prophet وسلم, advised me with three. And one of the three that he mentions is that he should pray salatul duha. Right? Salatul duha. And it is established in Al-Bukhari and in other than Al-Bukhari that the Prophet ﷺ prayed Salatul Duha in, on the morning of the conquest of Mecca. So when he entered Mecca, he went to the house of the sister of Ali radiallahu anhuma, and he prayed in her house uh, the, um, the Salatul Duha. That's a very interesting narration, by the way. If you look at the uh, narrations of the conquest of Mecca, they are, they are very interesting. One of the issues that comes up is where does the Prophet ﷺ go? Because one of the things that the Quraysh did when they exiled all of these people, the Muslims, the Prophet ﷺ and his early companions, when they exiled them is that they took from them their wealth. Right? They took from them their wealth, they took from them their property, they took from them their land. So what is left behind for the Prophet ﷺ? So now when the Prophet ﷺ returns to Mecca, one of the questions he's asked is, O Messenger of Allah, where will you stay? Right? Where are you going to sleep? And so the Prophet ﷺ says, وَهَلْ تَرَكَ لَنَا عَقِيلًا مَنْزِلًا And did Aqil leave for us any place to stay? Right? Who is Aqil? He is the brother of, Abu, of Ali radiallahu anhu, one of the oldest sons of Abu Talib. 
And he says, did Aqil leave for us any place to, to stay? Because when the Prophet ﷺ migrates, Ali migrates, all of them are Muslims. Aqil becomes a Muslim عن, later. Aqil ibn Abi Talib becomes a Muslim later on. And so he inherits from Abu Talib. And he, obviously all of those other companions don't inherit. And the Prophet ﷺ doesn't inherit because the Quraysh took from them. So then the Prophet ﷺ says to them that instead we will go and we will settle in the same valley in which the Quraysh boycotted us. The same wadi, the same valley in which the same shi'b that we were boycotted in when the, when the Quraysh had that social and economic boycott upon the Muslims. That's where we will go and that's where we will stay. And that's where they set up and pitch their tents and their camp with the Prophet ﷺ and the majority of those companions. right? But that's a very interesting narration. It's a bit of a tangent, but, but it's a very interesting narration anyway. But the point that I was making is that the Prophet ﷺ, it is said that he prayed uh, Salatul Duha that morning in in Mecca on the on the morning of the conquest of of Mecca, so that is one position, all right? and that's the one that you have all of these translations for. Whether they say morning brightness, whether they say morning hours, whether they say the forenoon, right? That's all that it is referring to. The same part of that day, and from the earliest scholars who have that opinion is Qatada, rahimahullah taala, Qatada ibn Di'ama, from the students of Anas radiyallahu anhu and the famous scholar of Tafsir. Qatada is from amongst the earliest scholars. It is said that had this position and he said Sa'atun min Sa'atin Nahar it is a portion from the portions of the day meaning the early portion the second position that you will find is that it refers to all of the day all of the daylight and in that case it is basically the opposite of what is mentioned in verse number 2 Allah Azza wa Jalla says Wadduha Wallayl idha saja Wallayl is the night and so Allah Azza wa Jalla in verse number 1 takes an oath by the day and so Wadduha refers to all of the day and both of them, the reason why there is a, 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 a difference of opinion is because both meanings are mentioned in the Qur'an. The word duha is mentioned in the Qur'an and used for both meanings. It is used as the opposite of night, meaning day, and it is used as the opposite of the afternoon, meaning the forenoon. Right? As, as opposed to the time just before sunset, it is the time just after sunrise. So from the verses of the Quran that speak about it being in opposite the opposite to night that it is day is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al Nazi'at Allah Azza wa mentions Layl and then he mentions its opposite that he took out from the, the night, the day. But he doesn't use the word nahar, he uses the word duha. Right? And so therefore it is something which is uh, which is uh, mentioned in the Quran in that context. But it is also mentioned by the second context, which means the early morning. right? And that's the final verse of Surah Al-Nazi'at, in which Allah Azza wa Jal says, كَأَنَّهُمْ يَوْمَ يَرَوْنَهَا لَمْ يَلْبَثُوا إِلَّا عَشِيَّةً أَوْ ضُحَاهَا And it will be on that day when they will see Yawm Al-Qiyamah, as if they only reside, resided in this life for an afternoon or for its morning. Right, that's how short they will think that their whole time upon this earth was. It's like an afternoon or like a single morning. And so Allah Azza wa Jal mentions Ashiya, which is the end of the day, right? The the afternoon, and He mentions its opposite, Duhaha. And so you have both of them, both of them. So now the issue is which of them is the one that is being referred to here. So as I said, the position of of some of the scholars, such as Qatada, rahimahullah Taala, is that it's referring to the early morning, and that's the one in our time that seems to be the most common, right? the one that you will find most commonly chosen by people in terms of their tafsir. The second position is actually the one that was favored by Imam At-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, and many of the earliest scholars seem to have also 
also chosen this. And that is that he says, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, that he refers to all of the day. So it is basically the opposite of night, right? It is referring to all of the day. And he says, because the word duha can mean the rays of the sun, right? When Allah Azza wa Jalla gives the example of in Surah Al-Shams, وَالشَّمْسِ وَضُحَاهَا Allah Azza wa Jalla takes an oath by the sun and by its rays. Those rays continue throughout the day, right? The rays don't only come from the morning, the light and the heat of the sun are not only found in the morning and then they stop. In fact, there is a period after the morning which is noon, right? And just after noon, where those rays and that light are at their strongest. And so that's something which he, which he mentions. And Ibn Atiyah in his tafsir says something similar. He says that Radduha is the strong rays and the uh, immensity of the sun. Right? That's what it's referring to. And so this was the position that was chosen by Al-Imam Al-Tabari. He says that this is the position that we mention uh, or the meaning that we mention in Surah Al-Shamsi wa Duhaha and therefore that is the position that we hold here. And so essentially what they're saying is that just as Allah takes an oath by the night, then likewise Allah takes an oath in verse number one by the day. So Allah is taking an oath by the day. And Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti in his tafsir also chose this position based upon the same rationale and the same justification as Al-Imam Al-Tabari Rahimahullah Ta'ala. Al-Imam Al-Qurtubi in his tafsir Rahimahullah he said that we've already mentioned the meaning of Al-Duha and that it refers to all of the day. And that is because it is the opposite to what is in verse number two, which is Wallayli Ida Saja, which is referring to the night. And he says, and Allah Azza wa mentions it in opposites in a number of places in the Quran. So for example, in Surah Al-Araf verses 97 and 98, when Allah says, Do the people of the villages or the towns think that they think that they will be safe from our punishment whilst they are asleep at night? Right? And then Allah says, And do the people of the towns and the villages think that they will be safe from our punishment during the day whilst they are playing, meaning whilst they are busy enjoying their lives. Right? And so that's that's basically the opposite again tonight, but the word that is used is being duha. And the reason why the word duha is mentioned is because it refers to the word duha, refers to, yes, the early part of the morning also because the sun is getting stronger and stronger and the heat of the sun becomes greater and greater. And that is one of the meaning of the words of duha. It is referring to the rays of the sun, its light and its heat. And so because that is one of the meanings of the, of, of, of the, of the morning, that is also referring to the rest of the day. That is one of the positions and in fact, it seems to be and Allah knows best the more popular of the two positions amongst the earlier of the scholars of tafsir. Uh, and they give as another example of this, the verse in the Quran, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says concerning um, concerning uh, the people of Jannah, uh, when, when Adam alayhi salam is, is, is in Jannah, أَلَّا تَجُوعَ فِيهَا وَلَا تَعْرَى وَأَنَّكَ لَا تَظْمَأُ فِيهَا وَلَا تَضْحَى And Allah Azza wa Jal mentions from the blessings of Jannah, that in Jannah they will experience no thirst wala tadha, which is from duha and you will also not feel the strength or the immense strength the immensity of the sun right? and that is also from the blessings of Jannah that it is cool right? that it is cool and it is something which is pleasant in its temperature and pleasant in its 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 uh, its its time and, 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 and the sun 
that places itself or the, or the light that Allah places in Jannah. Uh, others from amongst the scholars even said that Allah when he mentions the word um, duha it's also referring to and, and there is no doubt a blessing in the time of duha right the morning is the time of blessing the Prophet told us sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the famous hadith my ummah has its blessing in the earliest part of the morning and so that is the time of, of blessing but it is said for example that this is the time that Allah uh, also Send back the Prophet after the Mi'raj, right? Because the Rasul goes on the night journey when he returns, it's the morning time. Others from amongst the scholars said that it is the time in which Allah chose to speak to Musa when he came to the mountain of Atur. This is when Allah chose to speak to him during this time. Others from amongst the scholars said, and it is the time in which the, 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 the sorcerers prostrated themselves before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the story of Musa also. Because Allah says when he speaks in the story of Pharaoh and Musa, he says, He says, or, or Pharaoh and his advisors say to Musa, Come back, let us gather the people. Because the people will have gathered in the morning. And obviously, then the story in the morning takes place and the sorcerers prostrate themselves before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al Imam al Sa'di, Rahimahullah ta'ala, Shaykh Abdurrahman ibn Nasir al Sa'di, he says that Allah Azza wa Jal takes an oath by the morning and by the light that the duha brings. Right? He takes an oath rather by the day and by the light that the duha brings. And so it's as if he tried to reconcile and bring together, join between those two positions. And there is not a massive difference of opinion. When we go on to verse number two, which inshallah ta'ala we will do, uh, before we do that, Sadiq Hassan Khan, rahimahullah ta'ala, he says, that just as Allah mentions in verse number two, the night, then in verse number one, the word duha must only refer to the day because one is the opposite of the other. So the opposite of night is not morning, right? Uh, evening is morning, but rather the night as in the totality of the night, meaning from beginning to end, its opposite will be all of the day from beginning to end. And, and in reality, the, the, the difference between the two is not as major as it may seem. Because whether Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes an oath by all of the day or by part of the day, because sometimes in the Arabic language, as we know, a part is mentioned to refer to the rest. Often in the Arabic language, you mention a part of something and the rest is also being referred to. And the opposite is true, that sometimes the whole is mentioned, but you're actually just referring to a part of it. Right? And that is something very common amongst the Arabs in their eloquence and in their form of speech. So the difference between the two is not actually very major. And one of the things that we will see, inshallah, next week when we come on to verse number two, because I don't think we have the time now to go through all of that. But in verse number two, we will see the difference also as to the meaning of saja. Is it the onset of the night? Is it the leaving of the night? Is it when the night envelops and it becomes, uh, you know, it kind of settles? What is the meaning of the word saja? And the reason why, therefore, the difference that you will find is Allah Azza wa Jalla, when he takes an oath and there are a number of different benefits and reasons for which Allah Azza takes an oath by these two things. From amongst those benefits and those wisdoms and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best is because Allah Azza is speaking to the Prophet sallallahu and the challenge that he's facing from the people of Quraysh that he's been forsaken, that he's been abandoned sallallahu that he no longer receives revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
and the, the, the concern and the worry and the grief that that causes to the Prophet is similar to any major worry or grief that any of us have. And most people that have worries and griefs and anxieties and sorrows and, and maybe even depression, if it leads to that, may Allah keep us all safe and protect us all. Often the time that is most difficult for them is the onset of the night, the evening time. As night comes in, that's when those worries compound themselves and they become more. And that's because that time of the night is something where people feel the darkness coming in or sometimes they're often alone and they're, they're in bed alone and so on. And that's when those worries will go to their maximum. And then during the day, that will settle itself and they will subside and they will subside. But then as the evening starts to come on, they become bigger and bigger and greater and greater. right? And so that's why some of the scholars said that Allah takes an oath by the two times of the day where people who have worries and griefs are most likely to be affected. The onset of the night and the onset of the morning. The onset of the night because as we said, people can't sleep. You know, they're tossing and they're turning, they're thinking, they're having all these thoughts coming to their mind and, and they're just going off on tangents. And, and so that's a very difficult time. And so they find it very difficult to sleep. And then often, even when they sleep, they have a very restless, fitful sleep. And then even though they manage to sleep, perhaps in one way or another, when they wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that comes to their mind? It's that same worry. It's that same anxiety. It may be less. They may be able to start their day at some in some way or some form and carry on. But that anxiety is still there. So they sleep upon it and they wake upon it. And Allah is saying to the Prophet by extension to every believer that Allah is the Lord of those times. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can give you safety and security and sanctuary during those times. Nothing can harm you in those times or any other times by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So long as you turn to Allah and you remember Allah and you worship Allah azza wa jalla, make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and trust in Allah azza wa jalla. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes an oath by that time. And in the other tafsir that Allah azza wa jalla is referring to all of the day and is referring to all of the night, then it is similar in its meaning also. And there are other benefits that inshallah we will mention. But from those benefits also therefore is that Allah Azza wa is the Lord and the one who controls and owns all of that day and all of that night. So nothing can happen to you at any part or any time of the day or night except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who decrees and allows for it to happen. And that iman and that sense of knowledge and certainty in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in his power, Jalla fi ula, is something which can help the believer to a great extent, especially in those times in which they find those difficulties and those and those worries. And so when Allah takes an oath by these two things or these two times of the day, and then in verse number three, Allah says to the Prophet that he hasn't been abandoned, that he hasn't been forsaken, that Allah doesn't have any hatred towards him, وسلم, then that is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing the Prophet the power that he has during the day and during the night subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam first and foremost but for every believer who then follows in his footsteps and turns to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his divine help and his divine guidance but inshallah ta'ala next week we will come on to verse number two and we will speak about that inshallah in more detail as well as the meaning of these words of, of saja but I think it is very interesting to note that the way that the sometimes tafsir changes over time where one position seems to be stronger at one era and then over time it seems to be that some or a number of the scholars have chosen another one but actually even today you will find in the works of the scholars you will find a mention of both opinions but obviously in translation as we've said it is always the picking of one tafsir over the other and they've clearly gone for the one that seems to have 
a stronger linguistic uh, and literal uh, translation and that is that it's referring to the early morning and Allah knows best. Okay, let us take some questions inshallah ta'ala and then we can conclude. Uh, so let me just go back and see if there are any questions. Uh, can someone tell me how I can watch these Monday series on YouTube? So on YouTube, if you just go to uh, youtube.com forward slash Sheikh Ahsan Hanif, which is S H Ahsan Hanif, then inshallah you will find that and that, that should be on there, uh, I think. Inshallah. Sumaira, if, if following the second opinion, can then can one then pray Salat al-Duha any part of the day like ours up until Maghrib and still reap the same rewards as per the hadith? No, because the hadith has a certain context. So the hadith has a different context to what we're speaking about here. So there is a linguistic meaning to the word al-Duha and there is a shari meaning to these words of al-Duha. Right? Just as the word zakah in the Arabic language can mean or often does mean an increase and a blessing. When Allah says to the Prophet in the Quran, right? the word salah, which can mean blessing, right? And an increase. But that doesn't mean that that's the meaning of salah in terms of uh, in terms of the salah of how we pray five times a day. And so the words of the Sharia can sometimes have a linguistic meaning and they can sometimes have a, a shari meaning. And so with the shari meaning, you always go back to the understanding of the Sharia in the way that it is mentioned. And so Salat al-Duha therefore has its particular time in the way that it is established in the Sunnah and in the books of Fiqh and Allah knows best. Can you uh, give an example from the Arabic language where one has used the whole of something whilst referring to part of it? That's a good question. So, um, uh, can someone think of something that comes to their mind? Um but the whole is mentioned and a part is what is being referred to. There are a number of men, of, of examples for this, but I'm just trying to think now of uh, of what it's what's being referred to. There are a number of, of, of examples, inshallah, for next week. I will I will uh, try to find some uh, some of them. Uh, or, or one example that you could give, for example, is the uh, verse of the Qibla. When Allah Azza wa tells us to face the Qibla, He says, فَوَلِّي and face or turn your face towards Al-Masjid Al-Haram in terms of facing the Qibla. But clearly the meaning isn't that you just turn your face, it's to turn your whole body. If someone was to face that direction but the Qibla is over there and they were just to turn their face and their body, so that wouldn't be correct, right? That's not a correct salah. They're not facing uh, the Qibla. But the wording in the Quran is wajhaka, right? Face, turn your face towards it, right? And that is a part of the body, and the, but the meaning or what is being referred to is the rest. And that's very common, by the way, in the Arabic language. Uh, and there are many examples that you will find. And the reverse is also true as well. And Allah knows best. Okay. So, khairan. Okay, so, um, yeah, so, and that's another good example, raqabah, right? So, when Allah Azza says, fakku raqabah, right? Raqabah is basically someone's back, right? Or the neck, that's what raqabah means. But when you say free a raqabah, it obviously means free the whole person. It doesn't mean just free part of their body. But again, it's it's very common in the Arabic language, and in Arabic, it is often used. Where, for example, when someone also refers to, and when Allah Azza for example, refers to nasiya, right? When Allah says that their foreheads nasiya in kathib, as we took in Surah Al-Alaq, that their foreheads are a lying forehead. It's not the forehead that is lying, but it is 
a part of the body that is used either because it is an important part of the body or it's one that people think that it's honoring or one that people normally, you know, is, is a sign of some respect or something and is referred to in that context. But obviously the meaning is that the person in their entirety is someone who is a liar, not just their forelock or their forehead. And Allah Azza wa knows best. Okay. Jazakumullah khair inshallah ta'ala and I will see you all bismillah ta'ala next week either for QP or before that inshallah for our continuation of the reading of Az-Zamzami. Barakallahu feekum wa salam bin Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.